morning. Good morning. A little hiccup on the transition there, but that's okay. Why don't you guys go ahead and, uh, as we're getting ready here, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, that's one of the passages we're going to be in today. All right, so um, I don't know about you, but I love, absolutely love um, uh, baptisms and be able to hear the stories of people changed, like our sister there, or the, or the couple from Thursday night, the videos, and um, Jesus Christ has changed my life. And if you're here today, if you're tuning in online, if you're over in the uh, North Auditorium and you cannot say with confidence that Jesus has changed your life, uh, like our sister just said here, uh, not just know about him, to have that personal experience, that relationship with him, make sure you have that. And that is found through prayer and repentance to Jesus Christ. Um, so uh, I think I'm going to move that mic as well. So <laughs> do that. All right. So, um, so uh, I have a few announcements to give us today. Uh, first of all, if you are new, uh, do you want to welcome you here? If this is your first time online, tuning in with us, we're really glad that you're doing that. And so if you haven't filled out a digital connect card, would you please do that? I think we have a slide for that. There we go. Oh, my bad. All right, there we go. So um, fill out the digital connect card. Let us know that you were here or you were tuning in. Um, also, it's a way for you to ask questions about uh, information about certain ministries. And so feel free to do that. We'd love to have you connect here at, at Christian Family Chapel. We want to be a family for you. Uh, also, uh, we have, uh, let's see here. I'm going to make sure I get my other ones. If you want to give, if you want to give to the church, we have a slide for that. No, we don't. Oh, there it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. I'm going to let you roll with that. Okay, so uh, if you want to give to the church, there's a few different ways you can give in worship to the Lord. You can text, as you can see the number there. You can uh, also give through the, the, the uh, app that we just talked about. You can go to our church website. You can also even put it in the boxes in the back if you're here or over, over in North as well. Um, okay, so uh, a couple other things, and then we'll get into today's message. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard or not, but there's this thing going on in our nation called uh, the, the election. And, uh, uh, you know, what a joy is God's people living in a republic as Americans, that we can take a vote and vote in a way that honors God. And, but we can't do that if we're not registered. So here's your last friendly reminder to register to vote. And if you have not done that, if you're here on campus, um, out in the courtyard, we, will, we have people ready to help you register today. Um, so just go out to the courtyard and uh, they can help you do that. We also have prayer guides um, as we go into the election. And, um, and so the deadline is actually by the end of tomorrow. So just a reminder there. And uh, so one more final uh, reminder of things. As you guys may have known, if you don't, this is what happened throughout the month of September. We have had uh, an offering that we've been collecting for the glory of God to three projects in two countries, missions related. If you remember what those were, there's one project of a church build out of a church we partner with in Spain. And so there was that. And then the other two projects in Bangladesh, uh, one would go to mothers and, and women off the streets and their children to help them financially get off the streets. And then the other was a Christian hospital to help offset the cost for uh, oxygen for COVID patients. Well, I want to share with you one quick story of a couple uh, in regards to this offering. Listen to what God did through them. The first week the offering was announced, my wife and I felt a tug on our hearts. 
We were both unsure about what amount to give. So we turned to the Lord in prayer and we got nothing. You guys ever done that before? You go seek the Lord and you get nothing. <laughs> Crickets. Um, they both had different amounts in our heads. Um, after three weeks, though, of praying, one amount came to our mind and we gave. The blessing of helping others is great. And knowing that we are seeking the greater reward is good too. But we feel that God was teaching us to trust him. This wasn't a huge amount, but it's more than we would normally give. Now, this story would be awesome if it ended right there, but that's actually not the end. A week later, God blessed us by giving the same amount we gave back to us through my work unexpectedly. We serve an awesome God, and he is truly in control of everything. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that kind of similar story, that when we step out in faith and we ask the Lord what to give and we give, that he sometimes, not all the time, don't take that as a promise, okay? But sometimes God does that to show, hey, thank you for being faithful. And so with all that said, are you guys ready for the total? This is what God raised through our church to those three projects. And let's give him some praise for $54,237. Amen? Thank you, Lord. And it gets even better because that doesn't include the $30,000 of the elders matching grants. So $85,000 is going to go to the advancement of the gospel, to the needs of those in those two countries. And so praise God. Thank you so much for participating in that. All right. Well, we're ready to jump in here. Let me start with um, sharing with you an amazing experience I had a couple years ago. I uh, think that's our title slide there. Sermon title. There we are. Okay. So a... Um, uh, a few years ago, I guess, a few years ago now, I, I got to be in a New York Times story. And it was quite the experience. And um, one of the things through the whole interview deal was, they asked me, they said, what do you think and what does the Bible say about the subject of homosexuality? And so I went on to tell them what God has said in the scriptures, that it's a sin just like adultery is a sin or other kinds of sexual sins and, and so forth, and gave them the biblical answer. And so then, fast forward to the day that the story comes out in the New York Times, you can just imagine that the phones uh, of our church office were blowing up, and voicemails, my email box filling up, uh, people finding me on Facebook and writing me messages, and most of the things that were said were not positive, okay? They were not positive. And I will not share a lot of those with you because I've deleted most of them <laughs> because they're not worth... But, but you know what? Basically, the general idea was this. Uh, how dare you be so intolerant? How dare you be so mean? Do I look like a mean person to you? I'm so mean and, and, and so hateful and, and all these kinds of things. And, um, and, but, you know, I, I deleted most of them, but I actually kept one for a couple of reasons, one message, because... Uh, one, just a reminder that I'm thankful that I got to suffer some dishonor for the name of Christ. You know, I kind of like take pride in that in a, in a humble way, if that makes sense for the glory of the Lord. Um, but also kind of like kind of roasting yourself keeps me humble. It's kind of a comic relief too. So let me share with you one of the messages that someone wrote me. It said, read your New York Times story today. You are a dangerous, ignorant lunatic. Get some help, you loon. So that's one of the PG versions of the things that were said to me. But you know, why, why was I being called dangerous? It's because, again, I was intolerant. Because I was saying that some, something is wrong and people are wrong, and everybody involved was okay with what was going on and, and so forth. This is a view of a lot of people in our society, is it not, of Christians who actually are following the scriptures. 
And maybe some of you here, maybe some of you online and over in the auditorium, you have had someone say to you, you are an ignorant, narrow-minded, bigoted kind of person simply because you quoted the scriptures about something. Maybe you've had that happen to you. Um, maybe you're here, maybe you're watching whatever it is. And, and overall, you can generally agree. You think that Christians are those things. You know? But you know, I'll just say, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you're listening. And my hope and my prayer is by the end of today, you will begin to rethink your conclusion about Christians that, that maybe we're not as, as uh, dangerous as you might think we are and maybe understand more about Christians and where we're coming from. Um, so all of that, here's some of the, the, the questions I wanna answer today. Are intolerance and love, are they opposites? Or can they actually somehow go together? Uh, what does God have to say about these two terms, intolerance and love? And then how does all of this apply to your life and to my life? And so with all that, let me just start with, as you look at society, you're going to see a, a definition of intolerance function kind of like this. See if this is true. Um, it, it's a wrongful rejection. This is intolerance. According to society, it's a wrongful rejection of any opposing values, if all involved, consent. Okay, so it is wrong, what they're saying is it's wrong to reject any opposing values to your own if everybody involved in the thing that's going on is okay with what's going on. Okay, so let me give you an example. If there are two people and they're having sex outside of marriage, it would be wrong for anybody to come in, point, looking into that relationship as long as those two people are on board, it would be intolerant and wrong to go and say that's actually wrong because those two are okay with it. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's why I put the clarification because as you talk to people in society, they're not going to say, oh yeah, you should never say something's wrong, but the, the rule of thumb is if everybody's okay though, then it's actually intolerant. And, and there is, um, and so they would carry this out in, in all things, okay? It is always wrong to say something's wrong if everybody doesn't, if everybody consents, now, right out of the gate, I don't know if you guys can begin to hear, though, there's actually a fundamental problem with such a view of intolerance. Um, let me see if you can hear it. Uh, intolerance is intolerable. Do you hear it? Intolerance is intolerable. It's already a self-refuting argument to have such a big view of that. All these things are just, all, intolerance is always wrong. It's like, well, is that statement now, you know, you see? And so they begin to kind of step on themselves. But nevertheless, that's, that's the general way you're going to see in society, of course, definitely from the New York Times standpoint and so forth. Um, that's the view. Now, how about love? What does society seem to say about love these days? Well, it used to be that love was the opposite of, opposite of intolerance. It was like, you, then you tolerate. If you love is to tolerate things if everybody's consenting. But it's actually morphed and developed to something even different in the last so many years. Here is what love is. It's not just tolerating. It is now to love someone is to celebrate, actually, all opposing values to your own as long as everybody involved is consenting, okay? It's no longer that you can just keep your mouth shut, plead the fifth, you know, just kind of like tolerate because that's actually not even love according to society. Love is, you have to say, I'm happy for you. That is great that that is happening in your life, okay? It's kind of like as husbands, maybe you've been at this situation before. It's not a fun one. When the wife comes to you and says, hey, do you think I look good in my new dress? 
Like, I wish there was this word that was in, you know, riding the fence between yes and no. Maybe, you know, yo could mean that, where you can kind of like plead the fifth, you know? Because here's the thing, if you don't celebrate that, you know, the, the dress on your wife, it's just not gonna go well for you, okay? So like you're pigeonholed, you're cornered in, right? And that's kind of where society is at. You can't even just keep your mouth shut anymore. You have to even celebrate what is going on. And so that is where the world is, intolerance, in love. How about God? Well, as you study the scriptures and you summarize the Bible, here's, a, here's an idea of what God may say about intolerance. It is the rejection of any value contrary to God's values, aka sins, right? God rejects sin. Any value that's contrary to his own values, that would be sin. God is intolerant of it. He rejects it. So it kind of plays out like this. Okay, we start, the starting point is God. God exists and God is holy. God is the ultimate standard of values. God is the ultimate morality. All right. And so if if you look at that, like the idea of standard, it's kind of like a measurement. So it's like you take a tape measure and we're going to, we're just going to pick, it's an illustration. Okay. But we're going to pick what, what number could represent moral perfection, who God is, moral, perfect values. We're going to go with seven because that's God's number, it seems like, in the Bible. Okay, we're going to go with seven. So way up there, that is God, morally speaking, there's that. Now, it doesn't stop there, though. God is not just holy, but also, you ready? God calls all people to holiness, right? He calls all people to live to his moral standard of the seven. Every person, we need to live morally speaking to that. And that comes from scriptures like this in 1 Peter 1.15, that like the Holy One, God is seven, morally speaking, who called you, be holy, be a seven in all areas of your life, also in all your behavior, okay? So that is how that plays out. Now, notice a couple things. As I said earlier, in the society, they say if all consent, okay, then, then it's okay. And, um, but, but that's not how it works for God, okay? Because even if everybody here in South Auditorium and everybody online starts writing in on the chat messages and everybody over in North starts yelling loud enough for us to hear you from here, and you start saying, no, we believe the moral perfection, the number seven is here, which is the six, because you can't see it. Even if you all consented saying that's seven, is that seven, yes or no? Right? You see, God is the one who sets the standard. He says that's seven, and it doesn't matter if everybody else disagrees with him because that's what happens when you're God, right? You set the moral standards, all right? So there's that one concept of this consent deal. The other thing about when society says, as long as everybody consents that something must be good and morally right, is they are either forgetting or they are ignoring or rejecting that there's actually someone else involved in everything that's happening. So you have two people, they're doing something and they say, well, these two people are on board, but let's say that it's a sin. It's a value contrary to God's. Well, who, who is not consenting in that scenario? God. You see, God is everywhere. So let me explain how that plays out because you're like, that doesn't make any sense. If there's two people, they're okay with it. Why are you bringing God into this? Well, see, God created all people, Christians and non. 
God owns all people, Christians and non. God calls today in every one of our lives to live according to the seven, to the holiness of him, to all people, doesn't matter who we are. At the end of our life, will God what? Hold us accountable, all people, Christian and non, to how we lived in the seven and all areas of our life, to holiness, yes. And he will judge or reward all people based on how we lived our lives, okay? Now let me just slip the gospel in really quick. Here's the gospel though. The reality is none of us can live the perfect seven on our own. Do you understand that? But if we believe in Jesus and repent of our sins, he will make us the seven in the eyes of the father. So make sure you've given your life to Jesus. You will never be good enough to the seven on your own. Okay, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, but do you see how that is? All people, God is everywhere. He's calling all people. And so when there is a value contrary to God's, when there is a sin, God is not consenting. Does that make sense? Okay. And so with that, God is not on board um, and we should be intolerant. He is intolerant of them. Here's what Ravi Zacharias said about this idea that he says it this way. He says, everyone has the right to believe, okay? But not everything one believes is right, okay? Everybody has a right to say, well, we think that's the seven, you know? It's like, yeah, you can say that. But is, does that make that the seven? Does that make that right no, God sets it. And so once again, uh, intolerance according to God is you're going to reject that, okay? You just reject that. He sets the standard, okay? Now, what about love? Uh, what about love? Well, we're going to go through a few different passages this morning uh, to define love. And what you're going to see is that love and intolerance actually are not opposites according to God. They actually can go together, okay? So the first one we're going to look at is in that 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so would you open to that? And we're going to be verse 4 through 6. And so here's 4 and 5. Love is patient. Maybe you've heard of this before. Maybe if you're married, maybe you had this read in your wedding, okay? Very familiar passage. Beautiful passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous, Love does not brag and it's not arrogant. Do you think the society would agree this is, this is pretty loving too, right? No, no differences yet, okay? Uh, it, love does not act unbecomingly. Uh, it does not seek its own. We're gonna camp on that thought in just a bit. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a, uh, a wrong suffered, okay? So there's love. And so actually right there, as we, uh, as we define love according to how God sees it, it's a multi-leveled definition. Here's the first thing about love. Love, true love, tolerates, okay? We tolerate permitted opinions, okay? True love is gonna tolerate permitted opinions. This goes back to that verse five when it says, love doesn't seek its own, which means its own opinions, Love is to tolerate when people have different opinions if God has not said in his word that it has to be a certain thing, okay? There are categories in life where he is totally okay with differences of opinions, all right, so uh, let's see. We're going to pick on some people here just for fun. So Dave and Michelle, how about you guys? All right, so um, Dave, what is your favorite meal? Steak. Awesome. That was the same thing for a guy in, in Thursday night. Amen to that. All right. So steak. Now, Michelle, is by chance your meal, favorite meal different than that? Okay. So it's different. We don't even know what it is, but it's just different, right? Now, what if, Dave, Michelle makes or brings home her favorite meal for dinner tonight? Do you have a right to be intolerant and upset that she didn't bring your favorite meal? 
No. And you're like, I'm not going to even argue with my wife, right? You know, multiple reasons why, right? But you see, it's simple that there's no right or wrong. God doesn't matter and care about our favorite meal, right? And so there's a lot of things in life that we love is actually to tolerate different opinions, right? So whether people drink alcohol or not in the scriptures is, is a, you can tolerate one or the other. Whether people take vaccines or not, we should be able to love and tolerate different opinions on that. What accurate Bible translation I use, you know, it doesn't matter. We can be open to that. God doesn't care what favorite, you know, NFL team you might have. Although sometimes I do wonder if his team is the Packers. But anyway, that's a different point. All right. So you see, again, going back to that verse five, sorry, when you have the microphone, you can just, you know, slip things in. So anyway, so love does not seek its own. All right. And so we should be able to tolerate. Now, we cannot, though, as we're defining love, stop reading. Let's go to the very next verse, because right now all society would be on board with this, and then all of a sudden you get something like this. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Unrighteousness, another word for that is sin. Another word for truth is the moral seven, right? Is the God's values. We in love should not rejoice in sin. So how can on one hand love not be arrogant, not be rude, not seek its own, which everybody's like, oh, I'm bored, but also say things are wrong at the same time. It's, again, it's, it's because again, God is the ultimate moral standard and he calls all people to it. And it's just a fact that you either meet the standard or you don't. And it's just a fact that, you know, you just, it's not going to work if you're not living up to it. And we should not tolerate that something is less than what God has said it should be. And that's where God is at. And so should we. And so here's the definition as we continue to build it, is that love is also, though, intolerant of values contrary to God's, Right? Love is actually to be intolerant of values contrary to God's, intolerant of sin. Now, starting with ourselves, you know, that that God has called us to live holy. Remember 1 Peter 1.15, we should be holy. We should live up to the seven, uh, morally speaking. Now, here's a question. Is that all that God does is just say to us, here's the seven, go for it. You should live there. 1 Peter 1.15. Or is there anything else that God does if we choose not to live holy unto the Lord as his people? There is. And so it being intolerant of God's, uh, you know, of values contrary to God's, we got to start with our own, okay? As God's people, as Christians, we got to start with our own. This is that concept when Jesus said, don't go around looking for the splinters in other people's eyes before you've noticed, first of all, your plank in your own, right? We got to be humble. We got to look at ourselves. We should be intolerant of any sins within our own. And God doesn't just say we should live holy, but listen to what God says he will do if we choose to live contrary to the values of God in Hebrews Chapter 12, I have it on the screen for you. God says this to Christians, to you and I today, if we're a Christian, he says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. You're fighting sin, okay? It's what he's saying here. And he says this, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. If you're a Christian, you're a son or daughter of God. And he says this to us, my son, 
Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. Here's what God is saying in this passage to us as Christians. He's saying, I love you so much that if I see that you're living a value contrary to mine, if you're living in a sin contrary to what I've called you to do, that not only am I telling you should live holy, I will in love, I will be intolerant of. I won't just say to you, I will discipline you. I'm intolerant of an unrepentant sin in your life. And actually love is I will discipline you. You see, you hear that? Intolerance to God is actually love and discipline to God is actually love. And he says in that passage, he's like, I will literally allow persecution to happen in your life to the point of you shedding blood because that's how intolerant I am of sin in your life is my children. Let that hit us, right? Now, here's the thing. If God is that intolerant of our own sin, what should our view of our own sin be? Intolerant as well, right? May we not be tolerant of a certain sin or sins in our lives, brothers and sisters. And so let me just ask some questions as we just look at ourselves for a moment. Is there any sin that may be as a child of God, that I'm just tolerating in my life recently. God's not tolerant of it, but I am. And I need to repent of that. Let me give you a couple questions that is is some probing questions, because sometimes things don't come to the mind right away, but things like this might bring something up if there is something there. Um, If I ever sit there and say, you know, what I'm doing is not that bad compared to, then I'm probably tolerating something, right? Or if I say something like, oh, I don't do it that often, it's only that I'm probably tolerating something. Do you see? And so maybe it's lying. Well, there's small lies, you know. Maybe it's porn. Well, no one's getting hurt. No one really, you know. Maybe it's gossip. And oh, I'm actually just hearing prayer requests. You you see? You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Are we not good sinners, (laughs) right? Are we not? You know, we are, all of us. And so, guys, let's just make sure that, it, that we're not tolerating something. I've tolerated so many things in my life. But here's also the beautiful thing. When we own it and repent to the Lord, what does he do? Forgives us right away. Amen to that. And so let's start with ourselves, all right? Now, let's, we can't stop there. As we look at the definition of love, is that it also then expands to other believers. That God is saying, if we really love other believers, we will be intolerant also of their sins if we happen to see that they are living in values contrary to God's sins. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to introduce to you a church that existed in the city of Thyatira. Now, before we read this passage in Revelation chapter 2, let me just ask this question. It's rhetorical, but is there anybody that could have loved the Christians of Thyatira more than Jesus? No, right? I mean, he, he died for them. He loves them with the perfect love. And out of that perfect love for these children of his, listen to what Jesus said to the church of Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Jesus says unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, 
The son of God, that's Jesus, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds and your love. That's awesome. They're known for their love according to Jesus and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of later greater than, than at first. That's, so I don't know about you, but that's like really good stuff. I, I would love that Jesus is saying those kinds of things about me, but he doesn't stop. You know, we gotta read on to the next verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. You see, what was happening was this woman, whether her name was literally Jezebel or not, doesn't matter. There's a woman in the church, a Christian in the church, and she's leading people astray and she's teaching false things and, and all this stuff. Now, first of all, you notice that this is a daughter of God and, and Jesus is intolerant of what she's doing. He's calling her out and he's calling her to repent out of his love for her. He doesn't just let it go. He's intolerating what she's doing. And actually, if you read on the passage, he goes on to say what's gonna happen to her if she doesn't repent, okay? But, but also notice this though. Who is the you that I have this against you? Who is it? It's actually the Christians of the church that he's talking about. He has something against them. Now, were the Christians in the church of Thyatira doing the same things that Jezebel was doing? No, they weren't doing it. So what is it that he has against them? You notice right here, they were tolerating what a sister in Christ was doing in the life of their church. Now notice they might have, they, they probably weren't celebrating what she was doing. They probably were calling what she was doing sin, but they tolerated it and let it go unchecked. And Jesus is rebuking them. Now you might say, but, but I thought just calling sin, sin among another believer is enough. Isn't that, isn't that all? It's actually not. And so let me share with you a beautiful gift that God has given us as God's people within uh, a local church to deal with unrepentant sin when we see it among one another. And it's this beautiful gift called church discipline or restoration. You guys have probably heard about it. If you're here at CFC, we believe in this and practice this and so forth. But this is actually a gift for us if we're gonna choose to be an unrepentant sin sinner is that the, the Lord has given this process for a church to not tolerate it, but to lovingly help this kind of an individual. And so the, yeah, we're not going to take all the time to go through it. I'll just summarize. When you study the passage, that one and other ones is this. If I'm a Christian, I see another Christian, they're living in a sin. I lovingly go to them. And I'm, I'm not going to say lovingly every step. Can we just assume everything's in love? Can we assume that? We don't need, actually we shouldn't, but I'm, I'm not going to say lovingly every time. Okay, there you go. Okay. So lovingly, uh, we go to them one-on-one and we approach and say, hey, you know, and we call them to repentance. And if they repent, that's awesome. It's done. You won your brother or sister over. But if they don't, what do you do? Eventually, you bring two or more people. You do the same thing, call them repentance. If they repent, praise God. But if they don't, what do you do? Eventually, you're gonna bring in the shepherds, the elders of the church into the whole thing. They're gonna say the same thing. Please repent, don't do this, right? We're not tolerating this. We love you. If they repent, awesome. But if they don't, then eventually the elders are gonna bring this person before the whole church and say, hey, we love this person. Would you all now reach out to them and say the same thing? Please repent. We cannot tolerate and love what you're doing. And if they repent, awesome. But even if they don't, there's the final step of church discipline and restoration that God forbid, but if it needs to happen, that a church finally says, you know what? You are no longer welcome here. And that is actually love. 
Do you see? And so this is actually a beautiful gift, but it's an intolerant kind of love, isn't it? Among God's people within a local church. And so uh, let me share with you, if you actually believe this or not, it's hard to believe this, but there's actually another church, not just Thyatira, that was guilty of tolerating unrepentant sin within itself within the early days of the church. There was another one in the city of Corinth, the Corinthian church. Here's what was going on in the Corinthian church. There was a guy who was having sex with his uh, mother-in-law, and um, he was unrepentant about it. And God, through Paul, actually goes after the church, the people of the church, and he says this about them, the fact that they, were dealing, they weren't dealing with it. And he says in verse 2 of that chapter 5, he says, you, church, have become arrogant, not loving, right? Arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this, that guy, um, this deed would be removed from your midst. They should have brought this guy to the point of excommunication and removal from the body of Christ. And so here, here's what's going on. When I first read this back years ago, I thought, why is God telling the Corinthian church that they're arrogant? in the idea that they're tolerating this unrepentant brother in the church. Here's why. Can I, I'll just summarize. Probably the aura of what was being said in that church was this. We are such a loving church. We are so loving that people like this will even still continue to come and they feel welcomed and loved and not judged. We are an open church. We hope they change. But as long as they keep coming, we're just happy. Maybe it sounds eerily familiar. Do you see? Here's what God was saying. How dare you, children of mine, be tolerant of unrepentant sin, and you think you've come up with a new definition of love than I run by. God is saying, listen, daddy is not happy. <laughs> right? And you as my children should not be tolerating what I'm not tolerating. And, and a reminder again, does anybody love this guy in the church more than Jesus himself? Yes or no? And Jesus is saying, because of love, actually, do this. Do you see? And so it's actually arrogant for a church to say that we don't believe in or we don't practice church discipline to all the levels. It's actually arrogant. Whew. It's strong, you know? And so um, let me go on now before we dive into the, some of that deeper. Let me just say this really quick. Okay, this is the, I think this is the point where we need to make sure we understand the why, the motive of why we're doing this, why we have an intolerable love for other believers. Because if we don't have the motive, it gets unhealthy really quick, okay? So here, here's really quick. Why do we do this? Why is God calling us to an intolerable love? It's because first of all, if we really love God, we want him to be honored, Okay? In other words, when people sin, and especially when they sin unrepentantly and unchecked within the church, does that honor God or dishonor God? It does, dishonors God. And so how can we sit there and see people around us, or again, starting with ourselves, how can we dishonor him constantly and then also say we love him at the same time? And the same thing, how can I watch my brother or sister around me and they're constantly dishonoring God and I just put up with it and tolerate it? How can I say I love God at the same time? No, if we really love the Lord, we will call people to repentance so that God stays honored, you see? But also, 
We practice this intolerable love because also we love others, right? We love other people. This is actually what love really is, is to have an intolerable love for sins within their lives because we wanna help them. Sin is like a disease and it makes us sick. And love is to say, I wanna help you, right? I'm not gonna tolerate the fact that you're sick. So let me illustrate this in a really fun way. All right, Charlie, why don't you come on up here, Charlie? And uh, he's a volunteer. That's not really a volunteer because I just called him up. <laughs> okay, so, um, but why don't you come up here? You don't need your Bible, actually. You can put your Bible down. Um, but yeah, don't, don't hit your wife with it. That would be a good move. Okay, so why don't you go ahead? You're not only gonna have a mask on, you're gonna put a blindfold on at the same time. This will be really good. All right, there we go. Now, um, now what we're gonna have you do, okay, is we're gonna have you spin around two times to the right, completely around 360s. Okay, there's one, there's two, very good. Now, I want you to do a half circle to the left. Okay, now do a, uh, do a full 360 to the right. And um, yep, and then do a half circle to the uh, right. Yep, and then do it one more uh, full circle to the left. Okay, so we're trying to disorient them. All right, that's the idea there. All right, so here's what's gonna happen. Is on the count of five down, I'm gonna count down backwards from five. Uh, I'm gonna have you just start walking, okay? And, and I want you to just to be able to trust me, okay? you trust me, Charlie? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, so, um, so we're gonna have you do that. And so ready? So five, four, three, two, one. Please don't do it. Okay, go ahead and take it off for a second. All right, everybody out here sweating. Why? Because I'm gonna to start to have you walk. And, and what's in front of him? It's a stage of danger, right? Let's give him a round of applause and I'll, I'll explain. Thank you so much. So what was going on there? Let me, let me try to hit that home, okay? What would be loving if he still had that blindfold on? He doesn't know what's going on. He's about to walk off a stage, which is dangerous, but not that dangerous. Let's imagine there's a cliff. And if he goes off, he's gonna die. What would be love? Stop him. But what if he is so convinced there's not a cliff and he'll get mad at me if I try to stop him? Smack him. Smack him. <laughs> in love. That's right, in love, right? Right, I mean, you see what I'm saying though, guys? Like in love, when we see people who are in sin around us, the most loving thing to do is to try to help them because sin is not healthy for you. It hurts you. It makes you sick. It does all sorts of things to you. And, and so love is actually, tolerable love is not really love. It's an oxymoron in those kinds of scenarios, you see? And so if we really love people, we will do this. And so let me also say this, not only is it love for the believer who is in sin, but also get this, if God forbid your church needs to get to the final step of excommunication and having a brother or sister go because they won't repent of their sin, you know what? It's actually love for the rest of the body of Christ. You know why? Because that person is choosing to be infected with this disease unrepentfully and they will begin to influence and to infect the rest of the body. And so a mandatory quarantine, if you will, is actually love for the rest of the church. Do you see that? And so that is why we do intolerable love, even among one another. Now let's go on now. Uh, let's see here. Make sure I'm there. Okay, so... What is finally, as we define this, it doesn't end there though. Love is to be intolerant of values contrary to God's and it also extends to all people. 
even non-believers around us and in our society. That a Christian, in some different ways, we should be intolerant of contrary values to God's sins within our society. Now, the reason this expands to all people, Christians or not, is because I'll go back to this. Does God own all people, yes or no? Does he hold all people to his moral standard of the seven, yes or no? Will he judge all people? You see what I'm saying? Yes, he will. And so um, it, it actually, we, it extends to all people. But listen, it, it does take some difference in how is God's people we, uh, involved with the society, okay? In other words, the thing I just talked about church discipline is only, according to 1 Corinthians 5, among believers, Okay, we don't practice church discipline restoration process with unbelievers, okay? So I wanna make that really clear. But are there, does that mean though that we though as God's people, we just tolerate sin in our society, among our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, unchecked and never say anything and stay in our little holes? It actually doesn't according to scripture. And so let me give you at least four ways that biblically speaking, we can be intolerably loving among even unbelievers in our society. Here's one. Do not celebrate, please. As a child of God, do not celebrate. When the world is saying, I want you to celebrate this thing that's going on, but it's a sin And they say, that's what love is. You should celebrate too. Do not do it. You know why? Because I guarantee you, God is not in heaven celebrating it, right? And I don't know about you, but you know, that's like one of those easy things for me to know. What should I do in this situation? If God isn't doing it, I'm not doing it, right? God never celebrates. Remember 1 Corinthians, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And so, and so uh, you know, don't say, yeah, I think that's awesome. I'm, I'm happy for you. Don't give any kind of language that seems to be rejoicing or celebrating in something that you see in society. Another one, I'll just put this out there, but you know, do, if there's an event, that the very essence of the event is to celebrate something and that something is a sin in the eyes of God, don't go, don't do it. And I'll tell you what, I I know people in my life that I highly respect and love and they have had, they they did the right thing, they don't celebrate and not everybody is gonna understand, are they? Right, like the New York Times, they're not gonna be happy, you know, not everybody's gonna see it. But I'll tell you what, you know who's happy? The Father in heaven is happy, right? And, And so let's just make sure we're lined up with God on that. Here's another way we can intolerably love. Call sin, sin when you're asked. Now, I'm gonna start with the last part. When asked, I do not believe that God wants us knocking on doors and saying, I saw that you were sinning, you unbelievers, you know, <laughs> you know like, like in this certain way, okay? Now, um, we're gonna get to this later, but we share the gospel with them, okay? You gotta share the gospel with them. That's where we start. But, but on the other hand, I can't tell you how many times, how many Christian uh, stories, talking about, I was in the New York Times, I've been able to be in CNN and all these other ones, you know what? And you know, I loved the opportunity that I believe to actually be able to do my job as a pastor and when asked by society, what does God say about X and X and X, to be able to say, this is what God says about X and X and S, X, right? You see, but how many times I have seen other pastors and other Christians when media and so forth or anybody just, even just their family member asks them, what do you think about, you know, something and what does God say about it? That they literally beat around the bush and never give an answer. They never call the thing sin if it's sin. 
You see, how can people be set free from the truth if they don't hear the truth, right? And we wonder why our society is all where it's at when Christians stop speaking the truth in love, in love, and in love, right? So when we're asked, don't be ashamed about it because you know what I also, one of my favorite verses is this, the truth will set you free. How can people be set free if we stop speaking the truth, right? So third, vote God's values. Vote God's values. Again, as Christians in America, we have the blessing to vote. Don't be ashamed because we live in a republic. We can vote in values that are, contra- that are according to God and vote against values that are contrary to God. So go out there and use that gift that we have. Finally, this is not exhaustive at all, and this is one of the most important. Share the gospel with our unbelieving friends, family, and so forth, right? Share the gospel. Did you know that sharing the gospel is one of the most intolerant things you could ever do in your life? Do you know that? I've been in situations where I was sharing the gospel and someone, people have come over to me, they overheard it and they said, we, I can't stand you as Christians because you're so intolerant of other people's beliefs. Why can't you just be happy with other people's beliefs? Do you know why I can't be happy with other people's beliefs? Do you know why I'm intolerant of where people are if they don't have Jesus? I believe with all of my heart that there is a eternal cliff that they are gonna walk off. And I believe, and you know what? I will be intolerantly loving enough to try at least. That is true love. And so brothers and sisters, are we loving with an intolerable love? You know, I remember this time Jesus said that we need to be the salt of the earth. You know what salt does? It preserves. It preserves food from decay. He's saying is you as my followers, you guys are to be the preservant in your society, starting with yourself, then with one another in the church, and then with society by speaking the truth. But you know how salt works? It doesn't work if it's not spread out. And so we need to in love go with that intolerable love and to share the truth and the gospel so that we don't lose our saltiness. Because if we lose our saltiness, what does Jesus say? We're good for nothing. Last week, I was able to pipe into that DC prayer gathering, the return over in DC. And there was speaker after speaker praying something like this. Father, I confess, starting with myself, that I've been tolerating sin in my own life. Would you please forgive me? And Father, I confess that the American church has too long been tolerating sin within our own camps. Would you please forgive us? And Father, as a church, we have stopped speaking then also the truth into society and we've been holding up in our own areas. And so Father, would you please forgive us and set our nation back on a path that would honor you. Father, would you make us salty once again? Would that be our hearts, Kai? If that's the case, let's get out there and be salty for the Lord. Let's stand and close out in worship. I come in desperate defense, ashamed of my pride, for keep renewing my mind. Sacrifice 
chose to worship with us this morning, uh, especially you guys at home too. I want you to know we miss you and we love you. Thanks for engaging, tuning in with us here. For everyone here, as we go out, just remember, let's go out in the power of the Spirit and in love and have a blessed day. We'll see you next time, okay?